You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar Angelis, and we will be with you, God willing, all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, um, and Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, if you would like to get involved in any one of the discussions that we're having here today. Um, <clears throat> so we are talking about some very interesting topics today. Um, in the first uh, hour, the the first segment after the roundup of the news, we're going to be speaking a little bit about the Voices for Peace um, um, a program that took uh, place in the House of Commons. That's going to be the first segment, a special segment um, that we're doing today. Um, and the other two segments, one on cigarette cessation. Can the UK, unlike the Kiwis, carry it out, uh, th- th- carry it through without any consequences? And last but not least, we're going to be speaking about the cold crisis in our own quarters, um, human health and homeostasis as well. Um <clears throat> So, uh, like I said, uh, this is your radio station and we do love for you to get involved. So do pick up the phone and voice your opinion. Give us a call. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you. Um, But before we get into all of that, Jalees, how are you doing this morning? Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah Almighty, I am doing well. Uh, I also hope you and, of course, our listener as well are doing good by the God's grace. Very good, and um, let's uh, let's get straight into the weather, shall we? What's what's the weather looking like today? Yeah, of course. So <clears throat> the past couple of days has been quite uh, cloudy and rainy, but when we look at the forecast, we see that today will be largely cloudy again and unsettled with spells of rain and blustery showers pushing eastwards. Some thundery in the southwest, uh, drier with brighter skies in northwestern Scotland, which is uh, breezy there as well. Uh, tonight, showery rain uh, will become increasingly confined to eastern areas. A few showers lingering in western coasts of Wales and southwest England. Mostly cloudy, but skies clearing in the northwest. Moving on to tomorrow, which is Wednesday, we see that the southeast will remain mostly cloudy with further showers, mainly dry and brighter elsewhere, but clouding over in Northern Ireland and West Scotland with some rain by evening here. Outlook for Thursday to Saturday, we see on Thursday, spells of rain will clear England in the morning, followed by bright spells and patchy cloud, scattered showers for north-west Scotland later. Breezy for many, turning windy and largely cloudy on Friday, with showers mainly affecting the north-west. The best of the sunshine in the south and east cloudy and settled in the south on Saturday, rain in the far north. So again, another couple of days of rain, cloud and a bit of breezy weather. Okay, so I mean, we we can see 
Um, obviously, for, for this week especially, whenever we do go out, we do need to remember to keep our brollies uh, with us as well. Um, you never know about the rain. And I, I mean, even in the forecast, it, it is telling us that there will be a fair bit of uh, rain and at least uh, cloudy uh, weather, to, uh, to say the least, as well. Um, <clears throat> let's get uh, straight into the newspaper headlines uh, for the day um, before we move on to our first special segment, which is in regards to the event which took place in the House of Commons uh, for Voices of Peace. Um, the the newspapers we can see today um, are mainly focusing on the Rwanda vote down to the wire amid standoff. So uh, the majority of today's papers uh, focus on the battle facing Rishi Sunak as the Prime Minister attempts to persuade Tory MPs to support his flagship Rwanda bill. MPs on the right of the party want the legislation to go further, but more centrist conservatives are warning against changes. The Iron newspaper describes the tense situation as a standoff, suggesting that it is the most significant commons vote of Mr. Sunak's premiership. Mm-hmm. The Daily Telegraph quotes a warning from former Defence Minister Ben Wallace as he implores Tory rebels not to wreck quote-unquote, the government by voting down the Rwanda bill. Writing in the paper, he urges his colleagues not to make the perfect but unrealistic the enemy of the good, quote-unquote. Down to the wire, quote-unquote, is the dramatic headline chosen by the Daily Mail as it suggests that the Rwanda bill vote in the Commons on Tuesday of the evening should sink, quote-unquote, Rishi Sunak's leadership. It highlights breakfast time talk the uh, Prime Minister will hold with rebels aimed at heading off a defeat. The Times reports how, in an unusual move, the government published a summary of its legal position which said that Britain had allowed people to make legal challenges to uphold their rights even in wartime, quote-unquote. The government said that blocking all legal challenges would be a be- uh, breach of international law. Mm. The Daily Express re- reports on David Cameron urging warring Tories to unite behind the Prime Minister. It quotes the Foreign Secretary as uh, insisting that laws aimed at getting migrant deportation flights to Rwanda off the ground will stop the boats, quote-unquote. The Financial Times prefers to focus on the COP28 UN climate talks looking like they are in jeopardy after some nations reacted angrily to a draft deal they regard as weak. The draft removed language from a previous text suggesting that fossil fuels should be phased out, quote-unquote. The climate summit is also the focus of the Guardian's front page with the paper saying that the controversial text had been put forward after 10 days of wrangling between delegates. Cedric Schuster, uh, chair of the Alliance of Small Island States, uh, said, we will not sign our death certificate, quote-unquote. The Sun prefers to put the spotlight on a showdown of a non-political kind, highlighting a row between world boxing champion Tyson Fury and Cheshire East Council in dispute over a council tax bill. The Metro uses its front page to highlight the Prime Minister's testimony at the COVID inquiry, which scrutinised his Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which he introduced in August 2020 as Chancellor. Rishi Sunak defended his efforts and those of the government during the pandemic. 
The Daily Mirror reports on what it calls the shocking, quote-unquote, cancer death rates between different areas in England. It says a new study shows that people in poorer areas are more likely to die from the disease than those in wealthier ones, which the paper calls a cancer poverty trap, quote-unquote. And finally, the Daily Star prefers to focus on a seasonal theme and how Christmas parties are set to be wild, quote-unquote, as employees who work from home get together for the first time in ages, quote-unquote. Um, so as we can see, uh, the Times believes the Prime Minister is facing a big rebellion from Conservatives on the right of the party, but is going to push on with the vote on the emergency legislation to underpin the scheme anyway. The paper says the vote will be a significant test of Rishi Sunak's authority. The more than 40 MPs threatening to vote against the bill or abstain are reported to want concessions on the its wordings. Um, some of which they insist needs a quote-unquote major surgery or replacing. They don't believe it goes far enough in blocking potential legal challenges by asylum seekers due to be deported to Rwanda. The uh, government says stopping all legal challenges could breach international law. Down to the wire, quote-unquote, is the Daily Mail's headline with one senior conservative telling the paper the vote is looking tight, quote-unquote. The paper says Mr Sunak is battling to stop a revolt uh, which could not only derail his Rwanda policy, but even his government. Inside, in an uh, editorial and in an opinion piece by the former Home Secretary Priti Patel, the paper urges the right of the party to unite behind the legislation. The Daily Express (coughs) quotes a uh, member of the New Conservatives faction, which sits on the right of uh, uh, the party, as saying they have the numbers to rebel successfully. The same source told the paper he thought the Prime Minister would actually scrap the vote. Former Defence Secretary Ben Wallace warns in the Daily Telegraph that the row must not be allowed to bring the government down. He urges his colleagues not to make what he calls the perfect but unrealistic the enemy of the good, quote-unquote. The Financial says, uh, Financial Times says a number of countries have accused Saudi Arabia of pressuring the COP28 president to shift the focus on the of the final draft text away from agreeing on the phasing out of fossil fuels. One senior EU nego- negotiator said there was a proactive fossil fuel coalition. The Guardian says the text was met with concern and anger, quote-unquote, by many climate experts. Other delegates, though, welcomed the fact that for the first time a COP text had actually mentioned reducing fossil fuel uh, production. Uh, according to the Times, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has ber- berated quote-unquote, Russia's president for supporting a ceasefire resolution at Friday's UN Security, Security Council meeting. Israel regards a ceasefire as tantamount to surrender. Mr. Netanyahu is said to have defended Israel's stance during a 50-minute phone call with Vladimir Putin. 
The Daily Mirror reports on what it calls the shocking, uh, quote-unquote, cancer death rates between different areas in England. It says a new study by researchers at Imperial College London showed that people in poorer areas were more likely to die from the disease than those in wealthier ones, which the paper calls a cancer poverty trap, quote-unquote. It said a north-south divide in life expectancy was particularly clear. And last but not least, the Times reports that the most that most Christians' uh, Christmas carols sorry, are almost certainly being sung uh, to the wrong tune, and we should probably be dancing to them. Research into uh, Christmas customs by English Heritage suggests most medieval carols were probably sung to tunes made up on the spot and would have involved far more movements uh, movement by the singers. Uh, quoted, they would have been a rather jolly affair, says, Mr., uh, says Dr. Michael Carter, a senior historian with the Heritage Charity. Um, so that's uh, basically um, the the newspapers for the day, um, the headlines, the front pages, um, in particular. Um, Jalees, was was there anything that, uh, uh, whether it's from these papers that we've seen, that caught your uh, that 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 um, uh, caught your eye, or or maybe even some um, headlines from within? Yeah. So um, the, uh, just four days ago, uh, BBC published news. Something that I just briefly, uh, I just mention and briefly just go over. Um, something that caught my eye was that um, four days ago, BBC published uh, the news with the title of "Denmark passes law to ban Quran uh, burnings." Now uh, we know in the past, you know, there have been you know various uh, various countries who have um, you know uh, voiced their opinion about the Holy Quran, and 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 sadly there are there have been some. Countries where you know the, uh, sp- uh, they have been speaking about uh, burnings of the Holy Quran um, or holding such events uh, of such nature, um, but you know, listening, hearing, seeing this, that Denmark has passed a law to ban the Quran burnings, and um, uh, also mentions that Denmark's parliament has banned the uh, inappro- and I quote, they say inappropriate treatment, uh, quote unquote, of religious texts with a bill widely known in the country as the Quran uh, law. Now. Uh, something that I just uh, like to mention with this, obviously, this was published four days ago, um, and and um, it's it's important to note that um, all religious texts, um, you know, uh, of various faiths, you know, uh, people of various faiths and and people in general should um, uh, should understand the importance of all of religious texts. It doesn't just have to be, you know, um, uh, 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 the religious texts of a certain a certain group. Or a certain religion, it's important that we all respect everyone's um, uh, sentiments and everyone's religious texts. As of course, religion is a way of life, and we should, um, you know, give its importance um, there. So this is just something that came to mind. Uh, it's 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 um, is uh, obviously it's it's sad to uh, hear when people, you know, um, various incidents. Of uh, of such nature, where people desire to you know burn the Quran or any other religious religious text, um, but of course here seeing that the Denmark has passed a law to ban such things, um, I guess it can it's a, we can say it's a step in the right direction. But we should also remember that uh, we should be respecting all um, religious religious texts. And this is something that should be, you know, taught, you know, from 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 childhood, um, where we should respect, you know, each other and respect each other's uh, feelings as well. Um, just one, just one point I just like to mention as well. 
um, about Denmark. Uh, you know, the, the first purpose-built mosque, of course, belonged to the you know Ahmadi Muslims um, and was constructed in 1967. So that's just another point. I thought speaking on Denmark, I thought I just mentioned this as well. Very good, very good, and an interesting uh, a note as well. Um, we're going to be moving on to our main segments for the day now. We do have a lot to cover. The first segment, like I mentioned earlier, um, is in regards to the Voices for Peace uh, event, which was raised in the House of Commons. Um, uh, later on, we're going to, going to be speaking about seg- uh, cigarette cessation. Uh, can the UK, unlike the Kiwis, carry it through without consequences? And last but not least, um, coming back to the weather, the cold crisis uh, in our own quarters, human health and homeostasis uh are the, the, these are the three main topics that we are addressing today um just getting straight into the uh, the first uh, first topic um on november the 15th uh, around 100 people including MPs, academics, journalists and social media personalities gathered in the House of Commons for a Voices for Peace event. Voices for Peace was initiated by His Holiness Sazamiza Masood Ahmed, the fifth caliph, uh, a worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, in light of the ongoing Palestinian-Israeli conflict. For more than two decades, His Holiness has been advocating global peace. Um, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association um, in here in the UK conducted a Voices for Peace event uh, at the House's House of Commons last month. Journalists and media representatives were invited to the event where Mr. Hussam Zumlut, uh, who is of course the ambassador to the United Kingdom for Palestine, and other politicians would be talking about the plight of Palestinians and the immediate need for peace in the world. The event commenced at approximately 5.35 p.m. with the recitation of the Holy Quran by Talat Siam, who recited verses 9 and 10 of the fifth uh, chapter of the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Maidah. Following this, a series of guests were given the platform to talk about the importance of uniting at this time and the need for raising our voice in a peaceful manner to bring about effective solution amid the violations of human rights being witnessed in Palestine. Um, Ed Davey took uh, to the stage after uh, expressing his admiration for the works of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He expounded on the fact that there is a dire need to bring about a solution to this problem, and indeed anything that threatens world peace. And he encouraged Ahmadi Muslims to do their utmost to play their role in establishing justice. After this, uh, Mr. Hussam Zomlot, head of the Palestinian mission to the UK, delivered a heartfelt address to the audience regarding um, the question of Palestine and Israel and how important it is for supporters of Palestine to raise their voice in this dreadful time. He called for an immediate ceasefire and said that the world is listening, quote-unquote. He added that how we act today will determine which side of history we'll be on in the future. Uh, following this, uh, Mr. Khalil Yusuf, um, a regular uh, contributor to the Voice of Islam radio station as well, a lawyer, um, delivered a short presentation on human rights and the teachings of Islam regarding them. He elaborated on Islam's teaching during warfare and his promotion of peace. Then uh, Ibrahim Ikhlif, uh, spoke about the contribution um, of the guidance uh, and the guidance of Ahmadiyya Khilafat, the Caliphate um, of the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace with regards to the cause of Palestine. He mentioned the foresight 
and share wisdom of the uh, the caliphs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and gave examples and instances where where guided uh, where guidance was provided on complicated geopolitical situations. Um, we can see, Jalees, that uh, whenever we have any kind of uh, problem within the world, and this is not just related to Islam or Muslims or the the Ahmadi Muslims in particular. Rather, whenever there is any kind of an issue, the issue that we saw in Kashmir, um, even uh, the when when Palestine was being formed, uh, all of all these problems that we see throughout the globe, we see that the the Khulafa, the caliphs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, are always at the forefront and giving guidance to to alleviate the problems to better the situations and and all of these other things as well isn't it indeed indeed i mean even um like you mentioned the 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 caliphs of the ahmadiyya muslim community um they have given continuous guidance on you know on on uh, on what is happening in the world um and especially uh, because we're talking about the the, the the conflict between Palestine and Israel, you know the the second caliph Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, um, he he um, even f- he foresaw, you know, back in in, in the nineteen forties he foresaw that um, the, the 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 dire need the the extreme need for for Muslim unity for for Muslims you know to come together. Um, uh, and uh, you know, as as one voice, because he knew that there are certain you know certain things. If they if certain things play out the way they are, then it can be very um, you know detrimental for for Muslims living in various countries. And and he he foresaw this, and he urged all Muslims to unite uh, under one voice. And even today. The fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, um, you know, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, um, the fifth, uh, the, the 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 current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, um, in his recent Friday sermon, he also, uh, you know, in his in 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 the recent Friday sermons, in fact, I should say, and for for the past couple of weeks, he has been urging Muslims to to unite in under under in one voice because, and he recently said that, uh, you know, if 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 there are certain Muslims sects around the world who are quarreling amongst each other, then of course, if they do not have the dignity and respect for each other, then how do they expect other people um, or, or governments to see them in this in in a respectful manner as well? Uh, and he urged, of course, um, that you know all Muslims should unite and come together and speak, um, you know, uh, uh, f- uh, and promote for peace and uh, justice. And this is exactly what Islam stands for. Mm, I mean, uniting together and, and, and raising voices as one. I mean, that's basically, uh, it just encapsulates uh, the, 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 the program which took place over there as well. And we do have with us on the line uh, Khalil Youssef, uh, who, like I mentioned, a lawyer, writer, and international human rights campaigner, and also a regular voice uh, here on uh, the, the ra- radio as well, the Voice of Islam radio station. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Jazakallah. Thank you for being with us. Um, we mentioned um, uh, before you were on uh, in regards to a little bit about the event as well and about your uh, your your speech as well. Um, and uh, f- for the benefit of our listeners, could you kindly share your experience from the Voices of Peace uh, event at the House of Commons, uh, which uh, of course took place a month ago? Look, the Voices for 
peace campaign is a really crucial campaign which the um, the Olsen community are running and the idea is that uh, we unite everybody around the world behind an effort to try and find peace. It's not a political campaign, it's not about picking sides, although of course there is a disproportionate impact on those who are living in Palestine who are suffering much more severely in terms of loss of life than those in Israel, but it is really a voice for peace to try and bring about peace for all innocent civilians. No innocent civilian should lose their lives, and the Voice for Peace campaign is all about that. And so in the House of Commons, uh, a number of speakers attended, uh, including uh, MPs um, from across different political parties, uh, the uh, prosecutor for the International Criminal Court, uh, Karim Khan, KC, uh, and Sam Zomlot, who's the Palestinian ambassador to the United Kingdom. And it was attended by uh, uh, a number of influential people uh, who were there to listen to not just the speakers, but also the words of His Holiness, who, who, as you quite rightly said, has been speaking about this now for uh, some time now, for some weeks. Um, and he uh, also, his words also played as part of that event. So it was an excellent event. Yeah. Uh, it is one event of many that we are holding, and we hope that the outcome is going to be a wider push from people across the world, whether from the Indian Muslim community and beyond, uh, to try and encourage our politicians to press for peace. Yeah, no, God willing. Um, and and you you would have noticed as well that all of the speakers on the day, um, the 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 their main concern and the number one thing, the priority over there was, of course, for an immediate ceasefire, isn't it? Um, what I wanted to ask you here was why is it so crucial for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza? Well, it's quite simply because there is just a huge loss of life at the moment. Uh, there are some figures that suggest that 17,000 people within uh, Gaza have now lost their lives. And the vast majority of those are women and children, and they are non-combatants. They are uh, people who are not engaged in fighting, but because they are in such a small, uh, concentrated area where there is significant fighting, they do... Uh, lose their lives and and that really is not uh, something that the international community should countenance Uh, it is a international humanitarian law must be complied with and innocent people should not suffer the consequences of this horrific war and it is because of that that uh, we and many others are calling for a ceasefire so that we can pursue the serious work of finding peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, the finding peace, uh, like you mentioned, obviously that is uh, essential, um, especially in the globe today where we're seeing so many different problems. Um, could you kindly elucidate more on the campaign and how the youth auxiliary uh, body of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community encourages everyone to continue to raise their voices for justice and a ceasefire? Look, you know, uh, Islam has uh, two main responsibilities. The first is an individual's responsibility to maintain his relationship 
uh, with God, and that's kind of a, a relationship between God and the individual. But, you know, there is an, a second responsibility in Islam, which is for the individual to have a role in the functioning of society, and that's about serving mankind as well. So it's not just a, uh, about a person and God, it's also about a person and society as well. And uh, in Islam, particularly within the Ambiya Muslim community, that service for mankind is an essential component of every Ahmadi's uh, contribution to society. And justice is part of that. So this campaign for justice has not just begun with the Voices for Peace campaign. His Holiness of the Mizam has been speaking since 2003 when he was elected uh, Khalifa about trying to push the world towards justice because of the uh, potential impact of a third world war, which may well happen if the continued injustice that we're seeing across the world doesn't uh, stop. So there have been peace symposiums that he has held every year, and he has traveled across the world to speak about that. And Khudam al which is the youth wing, uh, in countries across the world have been maintaining a push to highlight the important work of the Khalifa all across the world. That has, the House of Commons event has been won, but uh, the, you know, whether it's the Mercy for Mankind campaign, whether it's the Voices for Peace campaign, whether it's supporting disaster relief, uh, the Amdi Muslim Youth Association has been uh, not just recently but since its inception, been working towards uh, trying to encourage the world towards justice and to the service of mankind. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what Islam teaches us as well, isn't it? And even in chapter 3 of the Holy Quran, it says that the Muslim uh, Ummah is the best people who has who have been raised for the good of mankind. And the reason for that, it also g- it gives us the reasons. And, 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 and one of them is that you stop people from doing evil, you forbid evil, and you enjoin that which is good. Uh, and like you mentioned, that uh, it's, it's in, a ba- in a nutshell, that's basically... Um, what we as Muslim um, uh, uh, Muslims are supposed to be doing. That is, to obviously, if we see something which is evil and ill in society, then we stop it. Um, and whatever is good, we try to enjoin that within uh, our peers and our loved ones as well. Um, in light of your expertise in human rights law and the, the presentation that you so eloquently delivered at the event as well, can you elaborate kindly on Islam's teachings during warfare and its promotion of peace? Look, I mean, I think the you know, the starting point about about that really is what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had commanded. You know, in his final speech, his farewell address, the Holy Prophet had said that, you know, all brothers are equal and that none is able to claim the superiority over another. And, and he, he made very clear that if you are an Arab, then you are not to be preferred over a non-Arab. Mm. If you are a white person, you won't to be preferred over a colored person. And a colored person is not to be preferred over a white person. And the only distinction between all of them is righteousness. And so that is the underlying principle in Islam. And then it goes on to talk about uh, how we engage in society, including in times of war. 
so, you know, 1400 years before the Geneva Conventions and the 1948 Protocols, Islam had made very clear what the rules of war were. And that was, for example, that you should not be targeting women and children. There's no permission in, in Islam for the killing of women and children or anyone who's not engaged in fighting. Uh, and when you are engaged in war, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been also clear that you're not supposed to you know, steal the wealth through the spoils of war. You don't deceive people. You don't mutilate the enemy dead. You don't, as I said, kill women and children. Mm. Don't kill the elderly. And you also have a responsibility for creating peace in the land. Um, you're not even supposed to harm anything that is sacred, so that means religious buildings or, or anything that is of religious significance to the people whose land you are fighting within, not even to cut down trees that are bearing fruit. So those are some of the rules of war in Islam, and the idea is that war is engaged in defensively and it is engaged in, in a proportionate way so that you're only trying to uh, fulfill the military outcome and what you're not doing is trying to create terror uh, on the land or trying to uh, subjugate the people. You're only there as a defensive measure and that's very important because Islam doesn't uh, countenance or allow war uh, randomly. It is only in circumstances where defensive religion is required. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I mean beautifully explained, and even uh, from the the example uh, and uh, and the life of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. We have so many pieces of guidance that he gave, which uh, which um, expound on, on just that, isn't it? In which you are not to to harm anyone who is not uh, fighting you, um, the elderly, the women, the children, the trees, even the wells, uh, anything uh, which is yep. a natural yep. resource. You are not to damage that because, like you said. The the aim is not to cause uh, or fear and terror in the hearts of the other uh, other individuals, the opposition, but rather is just that defensive measure in which you have to protect yourselves, um, and you have to protect religion. So uh, so yeah, but beautifully explained, Jazakla Khalil Yusuf for being with us, for answering our questions and explaining the the uh, uh, first of all what this is, the Voices of Peace uh, campaign, the event which took place in the House of Commons, and a little bit about the guidance of what Islam even says when it comes to wartime as well. So Jazakallah, thank you again and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. Okay. 8 is the number for you. That was Mr. Khalil Yusuf, a lawyer, writer and international human rights campaigner. Um, and like I said earlier as well, a regular contributor here on the Voice of Islam radio station um, he is uh, um, he's a lawyer with 15 years of legal experience and his legal specializations are in energy uh, and corporate commercial aviation compliance risk management and corporate governance as well um at least we were speaking about the the actual event which took place as well and we mentioned 
um, uh, Mr. Khalil Youssef as well, um, Mr. Uh, Hussam Zolnot at Davy, um, Ibrahim Ikhlaf, uh, and then uh, Amjad Mahmoud, Mahmoud Khan as well. Um, he delivered a short address on the efforts of uh, Hazrat Zafrullah Khan, uh, uh, who is, of course, um, a very well-known figure within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and globally as well because of his efforts in uh, in Pakistan as, as the Supreme Court judge as well. Um, f- uh, and this was in regards to the Palestinian cause and gave specific examples when his impeccable political farsightedness proved to be true. Um, he was an integral voice for Palestine in one of its most difficult times and his voice remains one of the few voices in the political theatre that were are and will be on the right side of history and that's that's what we were addressing before as well Jalees isn't it in which the Ahmadiyya Muslim community it's not like it's just looking out for itself or for Muslim members or uh, anything like that rather whenever we see a problem in the world today um, you'll see that the the Ahmadiyya Muslims are at the forefront, and they're always assisting um, in uh, in whatever way is possible. Hundred percent, I agree. Hundred percent, and of course, this is all because of you know the 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 caliphs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, you know, whenever something happens in the world, whenever something relating um, to the Muslim world or anything, um, you know, uh, that happens during the world, the, the Ahmadiyya caliphs, um, the, the, the caliphs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the, they have always urged Ahmadiyya Muslims to, to speak, um, speak, uh, um, what is, what is right and, you know, promote, uh, peace and you know this is a it's a very this uh, uh, this campaign that we have been speaking about is a you know very good example um, as well and it, it just goes to show that there is the world is in is in more need of such leadership um, like the the uh, like the caliphs of the Ahmadi Muslim community who who urge the the members of the the uh, the the uh, the jamaat the the and, and muslims around the world you urge them to to act according to the teachings of islam to 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 maintain peace around the world as well um within within uh, our own spheres and on a on a global level as well and this is something that the muslim world is in need of and of course i mentioned just before we we were speaking to our guests i'll mention that his Holiness Hazrat Mizra Masrur Ahmed, he he may Allah be his helper. He has he, he mentioned in his Friday sermon that the need for Muslims to unite, um, and he he gave an example. And I, I quote that he he said that the non-Muslim world knows Muslims are not united, are and are engaged in killing each other. Look at what's happening in Yemen. Similarly. In other countries, thousands, even millions of innocent children are dying at the hands of Muslims. This emboldens others to oppress them further, thinking it makes no difference as they oppress themselves. Now, uh, you know, he, uh, His Holiness mentioned uh, for, for, throughout the weeks um, in his Friday sermons, um, he has been... Uh, and uh, not not just throughout the weeks, throughout, throughout the many years of the uh, of of, of uh, uh, throughout many years, he has been highlighting to the Muslim world to unite. And you know, th- uh, this is this time is uh, the time we are in right now. We are in uh, dire need for the Muslims to unite under one voice. Um, you know, if it is peace 
that we desire, then of course we must unite, put aside, uh, you know, people should put aside their differences and fight for, um, you know, strive for, in fact, you know, um, you know, uh, make efforts for, um, you know, peaceful efforts to to promote peace. Um, and of course, you know, this this campaign is is a very it's a, it's a good example as well. And, you know, initiatives like, you know, Voice for Peace, you know, follow Islamic teachings and about kindness, you know, fairness and 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 finding peaceful solutions to problems right islam encourages people to work towards peace you know and solve conflicts peacefully right reflecting the idea of salam we always say salam we say assalamu alaikum may the peace and blessings of allah be upon you peace be upon you we say this and this is something that we should inculcate in our lives and muslims around the world should understand this as well you know the event included like you know uh, some like you mentioned the event included people from different backgrounds which is in line with the islam's belief in caring for everyone's well-being and you know his holiness has been promoting global peace uh, similar to how the Prophet Muhammad worked for peace uh, through treaties like the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, and you know the 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 peace symposium is a very brilliant example. Since two thousand and four, it's almost about to be twenty years that the Ahmadi Muslim community has been holding the uh, annual peace symposium, and this is something that it has done um, on a, on a yearly basis and and globally <coughs> as well. Um, you know, Islam also supports standing up against oppression, as shown by the support of uh, uh, support for Palestine, and you know, doing activities for peace and justice is seen as you know something that Islam promotes. You know, the Voices for Peace event reminds uh, reminds us that the desire for peace you know brings people together, showing that the strength of voices uh, working towards a fair uh, resolution for everyone. Mm, most certainly, and I mean that's. It's it's essential to understand all of this, to 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 really try and help and assist where possible, so that we can, uh, as Ahmadi Muslims, as Muslims are instructed to do so anyway, um, do whatever it is which is good for mankind, and stop that which is evil. Um, just uh, just just summing up uh, the the event as well, uh, Mr. Kareem Khan, who uh, Khalil Yusuf just mentioned as well in our in our interview with him, um, of the ICC, had sent a video address in which he talked about the various people around the world who had been suffering, and in particular the people of Gaza and Palestine. Of course, he said that we must not turn a blind eye to the wrongdoings that are uh, being committed on both sides, and we must not stand or for any sort of injustice. Uh, Abdul Qadus Arif, uh, who is the, uh, an imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association, was next to speak. He highlighted the guidance on wisdom of uh, the current caliph. Uh, may Allah strengthen his hand and have uh, and and uh, and help him. Um, has imparted regarding the ongoing Palestine-Israel issue. Um, he, uh, also, um, he's t- from time and time again said that without true justice, there can be no peace in the world. And if we want to see a solution to the atrocities we see in the world today, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the the world must <coughs> unite together and shun all forms of injustice. And lastly, um, Rafiq, uh, Mr. Rafiq Hayad, the president of the Ahmadiyya Mus- uh, Muslim Association here in the UK, said a few words of gratitude after which he formally brought the proceedings to a close as well. Um, 
And with that, uh, we're going to be going to our next uh, uh, topic. Um, like I said, there is a lot to cover as well. Um, and um, uh, this next topic is in regards to cigarette cessation. Uh, can the UK, unlike the Kiwis, carry it through without consequences? Um, so, Jalice, what's this uh, topic all about? Yeah, so basically in, in New Zealand, um, in, in New Zealand's footsteps, which we discussed here this time last year, uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak proposes a new plan, right? The plan is to ban smoking for the next generation. This means that anyone born post-2008 would never legally be able to gain access to tobacco cigarettes. Now the question is, but would it successfully prevent uh, you know, poten- potential future addicts? And you know, does it risk a reversal uh, similar to, um, to New Zealand? Mm. Um, we are going to be speaking about this, obviously, um, throughout the next at least half an hour or so. Uh, but we do have with us on the line our first guest for this segment, Henry Gregg, uh, who leads uh, Asthma uh, and, and Lung UK's campaign and media teams, uh, ensuring they can fight for your right to breathe with policymakers and raise the profile of lung health. He has a range of communications, policy and public affairs experience from working in parliament, not-for-profit organisations in health and housing and in local uh, government as well. Um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and uh, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, we are talking about a very important topic, and we do have quite a few questions that we'd like to get into. Getting to just the first one, we see that, um, you know, why is it so important that the UK goes ahead with plans to create a smoke-free generation, even after the New Zealand's restriction of the plan? Well, we, we very much welcome the announcement from the government because it, it, it gives an opportunity for the first time to create a whole generation who will be smoke-free. And what that means is that um, they, won't, they won't take up smoking. Most people uh, who take up smoking, 85% regret it afterwards. Hmm. But it also creates massive costs for the NHS, $2.5 billion a year, um, and, and is the biggest cause of, of lung disease. So if we can take a whole generation out of tobacco addiction that will be a fantastic achievement for this country indeed indeed i agree completely and um what uh, what would you expect the benefits of you know implementing the plans to gradually increase the 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 legal age for buying tobacco sure well well, as i mentioned um tobacco costs the nhs 2.5 billion pounds but it also costs um, huge amount of, of, of human suffering. It's, it's the biggest mm. cause of lung disease, the biggest cause of, of lung cancer. Um, and for example, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, it, 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 um, smoking is responsible for 90% of that. So um, yeah, it's an opportunity to, to really uh, completely change the, 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 the main causes of, of, of lung disease and, and, and take you know, huge numbers of people out of that suffering. Indeed, indeed, and and as we know that you know uh, health is wealth, and you know of course a healthy body is something that we we all obviously uh, as we as we age we do uh, we, we we as a young, youngsters may take it for granted, um, but of course as we age we we realize that health indeed uh, you know good health is something that is uh, is basically health as wealth I guess uh, as the saying goes. Um, a lot of improvement needed around, you know, diagnosis and treatment of lung conditions. You know, that isn't necessarily related to this legislation or smoking. Now, what what else do we need to see happen? 
um, to reduce deaths from you know lung conditions apart from apart from this uh, the, the apart from smoking. Sure. So I think I think the major problem is that people aren't getting their lung diseases diagnosed early enough, and that's partly because um, during the pandemic we we did less less diagnostic testing, and we haven't really fully recovered since since the since the COVID pandemic. Um, but it's also because um, lung conditions just aren't taken as seriously. If if pe- if people are breathless. Um, if they're not able to to, to, to kind of breathe properly, um, if you know if you're walking up the stairs and you have problems breathing, you need to go and see your doctor because quite, quite possibly that may, might mean there's a problem with your lungs and it's just not getting um, diagnosed fast enough and people aren't getting access to those tests that they need so that they can get an early diagnosis, which means they can get the best possible treatment as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, how can we support you know existing smokers who, who won't be affected by this change um, to quit smoking? And how how can we you know how as as uh, uh, as human beings how can we support others who are in this uh, let's say um, existing smokers? Well, one of the one of the really welcome things about the government announcement is that apart from announcing the smoke free generation, they also um, in, increase the funding for, for smoking services, which you can be referred to in, by your GP. Um, and that those have been really helpful in terms of giving people support, which is uh, what they sometimes need to, to get off smoking. As, as I mentioned, 85% of people regret regret starting smoking. Mm. Uh, and, it, and it's quite difficult once, you, once you're addicted and be smoking for many years to to, to, to stop to stop so um, yeah that support is going to be increasingly available and we would encourage people to ask for it and take it up because sometimes you, you do need a bit of support to help you um, yeah quit 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 the smoking after such a long time yeah yeah I agree and uh, of course you know um, hearing that 85% you know regret it it's uh, it's it's uh, regret smoking it I hope you know the the, the new generation um, who do uh, turn out to be smoke free and who who won't uh, you know ho- hopefully uh, this has a very um, a, a beneficial impact on the new generation um, of course and of course uh, as you mentioned it around two billion um, goes into uh, various things um, for the NHS so hopefully um, this can have a, a very good uh, a fruitful impact um god willing um you know th- thank you for joining us thank you for answering our questions we do hope you have a lovely day and a beautiful week ahead thank you thank you very much that was henry greg and you know quite a few um uh, questions answered and uh, you know um learning that 85% uh, people regret um having starting uh, smoking is a, is a, it's a it's a it's a huge number of course um but of course looking at the 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 health uh, the, the the things that happen to your health when you start smoking, the ill effects of uh, of uh, smoking is it's uh, you know the impact of smoking is is very uh, detrimental to to one's health. Most certainly, <clears throat> most certainly, and we know as uh, Muslims as well that uh, this uh, our bodies um, are they basically an amana a trust from God Almighty, which we are to return to Him at the end of the day. And so if this is something which has been given to you, for instance, I mean anything that's given to you and you know you have to return it back, you wouldn't just do whatever you like with it. You'll take good care of it. You'll preserve it. You'll make sure that when you give that item back to the owner, 
it's not in a worse state mm. than uh, when you received it rather it's in uh, if not a better state as well yeah. i mean islam always teaches us that even if you are to um borrow some money of someone then if if you can do so then when you, when you're paying it back try to give a little bit extra because th- that individual uh, assisted you he helped you uh, they helped you um and uh, and similarly this amana this trust that god almighty has given to us this is something that we should also be looking after and yeah. of course today right now we're talking about uh, cigarette cessation we're talking about trying to stop uh, smoking we're tra- talking about vaping and how maybe that can uh, assist in uh, trying to come off cigarettes um and uh, and this is essential for us to understand because this is something which we need to look after mm. our bodies the things that we consume the things that we eat and drink the exercise that we do regular activities all of these different things to try and better ourselves and make sure that our bodies and our health is in a better state in, uh, in which we can return it to god almighty knowing full well that we looked after this thing rather than just destroying it right and made the most out of it as well exactly yeah. exactly um <clears throat> the impact uh we can see um i mean actually we'll we'll share a quick uh, uh, interesting fact before going to the news as well and that is that smoking it actually causes more death annually than the following things combined and i'll mention them now um uh, hiv illegal drug use alcohol use motor vehicle injuries firearm related incidents as well so all of these um six things combined uh sorry five things combined um cigarettes or smoking actually causes more deaths annually than all of them uh put together so we can see that this is a, an ill which is uh, really uh damaging and affecting all of us and that's why it's so essential that we try and abstain from this um and obviously we're not saying that we should just uh quit cold turkey but rather um there are better ways in which we can try and do this which uh, will uh, actually make you um quit for the long run as well rather than just uh, short term as well but we'll talk about that in more in more detail here's the 8 o'clock news assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may the peace and blessings of allah be upon you all welcome back to the breakfast show uh, here on the voice of islam radio station um just a quick reminder for you in case you are just tuning in um we spoke about the the event which took place in the houses of parliament um uh, house of commons sorry um over a month ago now um or uh, and this was in regards to voices for peace um and uh, now is uh, talking about cigarette cessation can the uk unlike the kiwis carry it through without consequences and uh, at last but not least we're going to be speaking about the cold crisis in our own quarters human health and homeostasis in a short while as well but before we do so um we 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 just mentioned an interesting fact uh, in regards to how many deaths annually uh, are caused by smoking another um thing that we <coughs> excuse me wanted to mention in this regard uh, was the impact of smoking on the human body and is of course we can as we all know uh, is immense and for some it doesn't even take too long to come into effect it causes respiratory diseases such as uh, bronchitis heart and lung diseases as well as immune system issues as well um lung cancer one of the top 5 diseases smokers have is also one of the deadliest on the list and the uh, united states of america 
almost 80 to 90 percent of lung cancer deaths are linked to smoking some types of cigarettes. The findings in the US are also echoed all throughout the world as the highest leading lung cancer-related deaths are linked to smoking. And although some argue that the real problem is vaping, smoking affects the older working generations, while the teen populations uh, believe smoking is for old people and would much rather vape instead. And we can see that there's so many different um, colours uh, when uh, when it comes to uh, vaping, the range of bright colours uh, and, and different flavours as well, which is appealing to young children. And this is one of the reasons why um, in the UK um, they're considering to ban uh, disposable vapes in the coming year as well. Um, some countries have already done this. Uh, there's Argentina, Brazil, uh, Cambodia, Colombia, Egypt, Indonesia, India. Um, and there's other countries which have restricted this, like the, like Japan and the US, for instance. Um, on this, uh, we did speak with uh, one of our guests uh, earlier as well, which we'll play now for the benefit of our listeners. And this was a conversation that we had with Clive Bates, um, who joined us uh, uh, back in January when we spoke on uh, New Zealand's uh, legalisation uh, initially. He's a graduate of Cambridge University and has a varied career in IT, energy, sustainability and public health roles. He became interested in tobacco policy and became, and in between 1997 and 2003, he was the Director of Action on Smoking and Health here in the UK, where he championed policies to reduce death and disease caused by smoking. Now he is a consultant in sustainability and public health. Yes, Clive. So as you know, we're speaking about a very interesting topic today uh, in regards to vaping, uh, health and all of these other things as well. And the first question that we wanted to ask you was in regards to New Zealand's retraction of the smoking ban. Um, there may be an increase in misinformation about the benefits and risks of quitting. So the, the question here that I wanted to ask you was how can this be controlled here in the UK? Well, uh, one of the good things about New Zealand is the government has been absolutely clear that vaping is much, much less harmful than smoking. And if you're struggling to quit smoking, you would be far better off vaping than continuing to smoke. That message is unchanged. And the incoming coalition, although it wants to change the measures related to smoking, I think is going to still be very positive about vaping as an alternative to smoking. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, the measures that they've withdrawn were all really measures that deal with adult smokers and were essentially efforts to force smokers uh, to switch or, or to quit. And, you know, some people are very upset that they've been withdrawn. Others are more like me, are concerned that they were going too far to start with. Mm hmm. Okay. And um, uh, recently, well, by, by recently, I mean a couple of months ago, maybe now, uh, the NHS uh, said, I think it was that the amount of nicotine um, through one vape bar with the 600 puffs is the equivalent of a 20 pack of uh, cigarettes. I, I believe it was in regards to nicotine, the amount of nicotine that you intake because of that. Um, what, what's, your, what's your thought on that? Well, I, I, to be honest, I think it's an irrelevant calculation. Uh, okay. It's a bit like saying a bottle of whiskey has a lot more alcohol in it than a bottle of beer. Um, you know, you, you don't drink a whole bottle of whiskey, uh, whereas mm. you might drink a whole bottle of beer. I mean, it may, may not be the greatest um, analogy, but I, I think what we've got to understand is that people get 
the nicotine that they want from these products. They don't they they vape them or smoke them in a way that gets them a satisfying dose. And mm-hmm. the fact that something may have a lot of nicotine in it doesn't mean they smoke it or vape it all in one go. It means they sip at it and take it more gradually. It lasts longer and there's less chopping and changing and packaging waste and so on. So I mm-hmm. think that that comparison is based on a misunderstanding. Uh, and the, the misunderstanding is that people... you know, consume nicotine at the rate they feel comfortable with, not the amount that's in the pod uh, or in the cigarette. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously one person might finish it in a day, another might take 10 days. So, so yeah, there's obviously that. um... Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, You know, people have different appetites for nicotine. Some some people hardly need any at all. Some use a lot. Um, But what everybody does is get the nicotine that they want, not the amount that's in the device. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, you mentioned in your on your website that uh, vaping can be beneficial for those quitting smoking. Um, would banning cigarettes to the next generation, uh, do you think that would encourage the use of e-cigarettes instead? Well, actually, the, the, the smoke-free generation uh, proposal, I don't think is that good because it misses the main uh, population at risk. Most, most kids now are not, you know, very few kids now are actually smoking. And the smoke-free generation essentially bans sales of cigarettes uh, and other tobacco products to people born after the 1st of January 2009. That, that would be people who turn 18 at the beginning of 2027. Okay, now, very few people in that group smoke now. Uh, if they're using nicotine at all, they're vaping. The big problem... Uh, is the large number of adults, particularly in poorer communities, who have been smoking for you know many decades, and they are of course already far older than that. They they were all born well before uh, 2009, and the real problem, the the real public health problem, is how do we get them to switch from smoking to vaping or to quit completely? And the smoke-free generation proposal does nothing to affect them but it does create some weird effects in which in 10 years time um you know people who are 28 will be allowed to buy tobacco but people who are 27 will not and that's a weird thing to do with the age of majority we don't really have any precedence for that we we usually draw a line at 16 18 or 21 depending on what it is we don't extend it out into adult life Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, on on top of that as well. Uh, uh, speaking of the, the the younger generation now, uh, this the this the the, the disposable vape ban, sorry, in the UK, um, they they're basically saying that in the UK, uh, they're basically considering that banning to ban disposable vapes. Uh, in 2024, and the reason that they gave for that was due to the significant contribution to the sudden rise in underage vaping. So, like you said, the the smoke-free generation, um, they they're, they're not really they're not smoking uh, cigarettes, but they are using e-cigarettes and vaping and things yeah. like that. So, so with their range of like bright colours and flavours, um, it, it, it being appealing to young children. So, what what do you think 
is the right way for that. I know there's there's countries where it's restricted, like Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, Norway, Japan, um, and there's other countries in which it's banned completely, uh, like Thailand, Uruguay, the, Malaysia, Mexico, and etc. Et so, wh- what do you feel is uh, the best way to go about this? Yeah, I mean, so so the government's trying to do two things. It's trying to control smoking, but it's also trying to control vaping. Yeah. The problem the problem it's got is that for many people, the solution to smoking is vaping, okay? And it's therefore quite difficult to square that circle, particularly for adults who smoke, and they are the people at greatest risk. Now, nobody likes young people uh, vaping. Nobody wants that. But what we find is that young people, uh, and this should not be a surprise, try to do what adults do, and they do that with many adult activities. That's a sort of normal uh, yeah. if, uh, you know, worrying aspect of adolescence. Okay, now, um, we might hope that we could control vaping uh, among young people by banning disposables. Okay, now that, that might work to some extent, but the kids have a lot of things they can do. They can switch uh, to other vaping products. They could switch back to smoking because nobody's saying we should take cigarettes off the market. Um mm. And they could start buying illegally available um, vaping products, okay? Yeah. And, and actually, there's, there's now a very large supply of illicit uh, disposable vapes. So when you, when, you, when you think of these policies, you have to think not just what the intended effect is, but what the unintended effects are likely to be. And that's yeah. likely to trigger young people into doing something different. At the same time, these products are by far the majority of these products are used by adults. There are around Mm. 10 times as many adult users of these products as there are young people. I mean, there are far fewer young people, of course, than there are adults, but in terms of the total number of people using disposable products dominated by adults. And for some people in poorer communities, perhaps with uh, less familiarity with new technology, perhaps needing convenience, perhaps not in a situation where it's easy to have a refillable device. These products solve a problem. They're low cost, they have low upfront cost, they're very easy to use, they work right out of the packet, and if you use them, they may be the decisive thing that causes you to switch from smoking as an adult, and in doing that, they may be the thing that helps us deal with smoking in the poorer communities. So again, we have to think of unintended consequences and trade-offs when we suggest measures like this, and not just hope that banning the thing that kids are using will mean that kids won't do anything and adults will do something else. Definitely. I mean, it is essential for us to to, to look after our health, isn't it? And yet, like you're saying, for someone who is a, a, a chain smoker, a regular smoker, for them to switch to vaping would be easier uh, for them to to completely quit cold turkey. And then obviously that can be the gradual step in which they, from vaping for a a period of time, they can maybe come off that as well eventually. Yeah, Um, I I think you've got that absolutely right. I I, I think, look, the big big step, the big first step that helps you with health is to go from a combustion product, like a a smoked cigarette or something like, to a non-combustion product. Uh, like a vape product or uh, pouches or something like that. If you make that move, you've dealt with more than 90% of the risk. Okay, now, then you're in a position to either stick with that, if you like using nicotine or you're hooked on it, 
or to move to the next step, which is to quit completely. And people do that by tapering down the nicotine level in their liquid and gradually getting off it completely. And that's quite a common pathway. But the big first step is to quit smoking without necessarily quitting nicotine. And you can do that by switching from smoking to vaping. That will always improve your situation if you're a smoker, and particularly an adult smoker who's been doing it for many years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another question that I wanted to ask was uh, in regards to the public health education efforts that they've uh, put in place. Um, how do you feel uh, they can be improved to ensure accurate information reaches the public regarding the risks of both smoking and vaping? Well, uh, I, I think actually the government does pretty well here. Um, okay. the, the, so the, the Department of Health and Social Care and the Office of Health um, Improvement and Disparities, they put out good information. The NHS has a great page on uh, e-cigarettes and why you should switch to them. Uh, and then there are campaigns like Stoptober uh, and uh, No Smoking Day where they stress the benefits of that. On the other side, though, Uh, We have, to be honest, very irresponsible media who are picking up stories often from American universities that are sort of frightening everybody about these products when there's no reason to be frightened. Um, And they're they're sort of they're running these stories as as clickbait. And of course, people see people like shock horror stories more than they like good news. So these things get great prominence, get circulated on social media, and then people are fearful about these products, vaping products, but they have no reason to be fearful. They are always going to be much, much, much safer than smoking. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. So, I, so I, to I, answer I your question, that. I think we need, to, we need a different approach to the media. We need, we need the media, the editors, the medical and health professional journalists to be more responsible and better at weeding out studies that are deliberately alarmist and made for media. And, and not just put them in because people click on them. They, they need to take a responsible approach here. And the government can encourage them to make the media print what it wants. But the government can do that by correcting errors, making sure there's good factual information and so on available to journalists. Yeah, I mean, that, that should be a rule of thumb for, for journalism as a whole. But that's a, that's a different topic for a different day. Um, <laughs> lastly, there, Clive, um, what other steps can be taken to ensure that the UK doesn't retract their policy uh, as New Zealand, New Zealand ha- have had to do? Look, I, I, think it, I think in the UK we are pragmatists. We, we want to do what works, okay? Uh, we want to do what will get through Parliament, what will win the consent of the public. So I, I think, I don't really like the smoke-free generation idea because it, it basically does these weird things to adults. It, it says that when you're... 20, you know, 27, you can't buy these products. When you're 28, you can in 10 years from now. What I would like us to do is just to raise the age to 21 for smoking products. Currently 18, it could be raised to 21. And that's actually got a lot of good evidence behind it because that's when most people are consolidating their smoking habits. Then I think, mm-hmm. then I think we should go, uh, we should be licensing retailers so that we don't see irresponsible uh, marketing practices of vaping, like those shop windows that have hundreds of colorful vapes in them. That all has to go. We need a much more responsible approach to retailing, and we could do that with a licensing system that has conditions, 
and then the licenses are a bit like a speeding thing. You get fined and then you get endorsements and eventually get a ban. Um, and we could control the retailing environment through license conditions and enforcement of age restrictions. Then I think the government needs to carry on doing what it's doing. It's got this great swap to stop scheme in which uh, people uh, in some circumstances can get free vapes, get themselves on a starter pack and try it out. That's a great scheme. Um, we need to continue the campaigning for people to switch or quit uh, through the NHS, through health professionals, through general practitioners, uh, and frankly, with the chief medical officer and chief scientist lending their support and credibility to that, because the overall overarching goal is to get people to stop smoking by any means possible. That's what will give us the health result. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, it, that, that, we, we can see how uh, essential it is for all of these things, isn't it? Um, to, to be put in place, like you said, um, the UK is doing a good job in uh, sharing that information, Stoptober, all of these other initiatives as well. Um, I, I wasn't aware of the, the, what you just mentioned about the starter packs as well, giving uh, maybe a few, uh, uh, one or two free vapes to get people onto that yeah. um, uh, as, a, as, a, as a replacement to, to cigarettes. So, that, I mean, all of these good things are, are, are happening. It's, it's up to us to be conscious about these things and to have to want to make a difference as well. Um, and obviously, I think that that is the most uh, the, the most imperative thing. That if if we ourselves don't want to make a difference in our lives to be more healthy, um, then of course nothing really can be done. It doesn't matter how many initiatives there are, or how much media coverage there is, or how many strategies there are to put, to put all of these things in place. The, the the most important thing is for us as individuals or anyone who who, who is in this uh, falls under this category, for them to make a conscious uh, effort in trying to better themselves in this, isn't it? I could not agree more. I mean, what, one, of the, one of the great things about this, uh, you know, the approach of harm reduction is that people make huge improvements in their health and welfare and their personal finances, frankly, um, wow. on their own initiative and at their own expense. It's a, it's a process that in, in which the user of the products is in control and does things for their own benefit. And of course, that starts with being determined to do something for your own benefit, to find out, to try it out, um, to see whether you can make a switch, and if you can, to try it and then stick with it. And, you know, people have achieved some fantastic results. And when I look at the testimonies that people leave, you know, they, they say they've tried everything, patches, gum, pharmaceuticals, hypnotherapy, everything, yeah. keep relaxing, relapsing. But people are seeing amazing improvements when they, when they switch to these products. And they're happier, they're more content, they're not in tension with their family, they don't feel they're letting down their kids or their grandkids, and they feel better, they feel fitter, better able to participate in life and so on. So there are multiple benefits and the testimonies that come out of this are really quite moving and quite powerful. And I do, like you, I urge everybody Take, take on the responsibility. It is achievable, and you can get great results. Yeah, awesome. Brilliant. Um, thank you, Clive, for, for answering our questions, sharing your insight into this, uh, this very important topic uh, for our own health as well, and for those around us, like you mentioned, children, grandchildren, other loved ones as well.
Uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners uh, would have taken at least a few good points away from this conversation. So uh, thank you. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was uh, our conversation with uh, Clive Bates, uh, who joined us back in January as well when we actually spoke about this uh, this topic, New Zealand's legislation. Um, he's a graduate of Cambridge University and has a varied uh, career in IT, energy, sustainability, and public health roles. Um, Jalees, there's a there's a lot uh, uh, that we can talk about when it comes to this topic. There's the harmful uh, effects that it has on our body. Um, it, there's, there's there's so much, right? Um, there's further explanations as well. In the long run, of course, we can see that, in, like in New Zealand's case, the decision might be bad for the economy. As in 2022, around 20.66 billion pounds were recorded to be contributing to the UK's economy, but New Zealand's restrictions were projected to bring large economic gains in the long run. Um, and the reason for this was both by preventing uh, health system costs and boosting earnings from people avoiding prim- premature death and chronic disease. But they seem to be doing the opposite, as the demand for these products was high, not only in New Zealand, but overseas as well. Um, Jalees, what does Islam teach us um, in regards to to, to this, this whole topic as, as, as a whole? Yeah, so of course, I mean, you know, we've spoken about the impact of smoking. We've, we've seen how many annually, you know, how many deaths there are, around 480,000 deaths. We've seen that it's the, the, the health issues behind it or the impact of smoking can lead to, you know, cancer, breathing problems, heart disease, diabetes, uh, infections, you know, dental problems, even hearing loss, even in some cases, and even in some cases, vision loss as well. So, you know, we, we know that the impact of smoking is very detrimental to someone's health. And Islam is all about, you know, it's, it's all about being a way of life. It's about it's, it's being a religion or, or a, a way to lead one's you know best life and making the best out of life. And of course, we are taught in the Holy Quran, in the prayer of the Holy Quran is that, you know, Rabbana atina fid dunya, that, oh, our Lord, you know, grant us in this world, um, hasanatan, you know, which means, you know, excellence or, you know, the best, you know, wafil akhirah, and in, in the hereafter, hasanatan, you know, grant us in the hereafter, excellence are the best. Now, you know, this prayer reminds us that, of course, when we are praying to God Almighty to bestow upon us the best that we can achieve or attain in this world and the best that we can achieve and attain in the hereafter, we are naturally reminded that the God-given faculties that we have, we must make the most out of. And, you know, throwing one throwing uh, one's uh, health away is, of course, the complete opposite of what, you know, Islam teaches. You know, you know, humans or shall I say, you know, God given faculties. We must, you know, look we look after them, we must see what we are consuming, what we what we eat, what we what we are putting in our body. You know, this is everything that Islam teaches us as well. Um, for example, the the Holy Quran also mentions that we should be eating what is halal and what is uh tayyib. Now we've discussed on many of our uh, pro, uh you know shows what the meaning of both halal which is, you know, something that is permissible and, and tayyab meaning something that is pure, that is good for your body. Uh, you know, and this is something that Islam very much uh, lays great emphasis on as well. And, you know, there's so many health 
uh, matters where Islam uh, highlights as well. Um, for example, our hygiene and cleanliness, you know, we know that the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that, you know, 50% of our religion is based on our cleanliness. So, you know, if a person remains clean, then he is, you know, acting on, acting upon and fulfilling almost half of his faith. And the ablution, the, the, the ablution that we do before prayer, our five daily prayers, is, uh, you know, something that stands out and shows how much Islam not only looks after our physical health, but also um, our spiritual health as well. And maintaining, you know, healthy physical activity is, again, which is another practice of the Holy Prophet, who he encouraged physical activity and engaged in activities such as walking or horseback riding and, and you know, various other things. Again, Islam t- tells us about um, so that's that's the physical aspect. When we look at mental health, Islam t- teaches about uh, teaches us about you know patience and and, and gratitude, uh, which sabr and shukr, right? With all this, and this is literally just the tip of the iceberg. You know, a Muslim is encouraged to to lead a life not only where they are making the most and best out of their life, but also in helping others. Now we know in smoking a person, we've we've talked about all the the ill effects of smoking. And I'm sure everyone knows about the the secondhand smoking as well. Where if you're in a room or if you're in a place or a room um, surrounded by people who are smoking, that can also have detrimental effects on your health as well. And this is Islam again highlights that you, when you're looking after yourself, you should also look after your environment as well. And uh, you know, smoking on the other hand is a habit <clears throat> that you know that again like. It often involves, uh, you know, spending um, spending money on a habit that is harmful to health. And Islam encourages, you know, moderation spending, and you know, discourages, you know, wasteful, um, wasteful, wasteful um, uh, expenditure. And of course, we've seen that there's a lot um, of money that does go into uh, smoking, and we've seen a lot of NHS's, NH, NHS's time is, you know, spent in 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 in, in in, in helping and curing those who have uh, ill effects of smoking, so this is something that we can all be avoided um, if you know we act upon. And of course, as Islam highlights, that um, you know looking after our bodies is is uh, is is of paramount as well. And you know the promised Messiah, um, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, he very beautifully says that you know our experience shows that various diets definitely affect the faculties of mind and soul. So, of course, if we want to be the captain of our mind and soul, we must ensure that we are looking after it, we are we are helping, um, we are giving it what it needs uh, to flourish and to make the best out of. And, of course, going full circle back to the the, uh, the prayer that I mentioned, which we find in the Holy Quran, um, that Rabbana atina fid dunya hasanatum that O oh Allah, O oh our Lord, grant us excellence and, and the greatness in this world wa fil akhirati hasanan and the greatness in the hereafter as well. Hmm. Uh, just before moving on to the next topic, uh, there, there's an, an incident um, that I want to share with our uh, with our listeners as well, um, and that is of uh, at the time of the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace. And this is um, recorded by Sheikh Zainul Abidin, and he relates that when Hafiz Hamid Ali, um, a companion of the Holy Prophet, uh, Holy uh, Promised Messiah upon whom be peace, um, came to Qadian, um, which is uh, the hamlet in which uh, the, the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace. Uh, resided, he used to smoke hookah a lot. Mm. And he used to go to a particular household. This is, of course, speaking about Hafiz Hamid Ali. 
and he used to go to a specific household to smoke hookah as well. And when His Holiness, Promise Messiah upon him be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, came to know, he gave Hamid Ali uh, some money and asked him to get himself a hookah. And he said that he should not go to that house as this was bad company. Six months later then, His Holiness, the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, um, asked Hamid Ali to give up hookah. And he immediately did so. Um, and the, the, the reason why I'm sharing this uh, incident is that His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah strengthen his hand, he explained that this should not be inferred as an endorsement of smoking. He, uh, the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he once said that to, ha, that had tobacco existed in the time of the Holy Prophet, Muhammad may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then he would have forbidden it uh, and prohibited it. And the, the, the reason why I shared this incident is that um, the, the way in which the promised Messiah upon whom be peace got this individual, Hafiz Hamid Ali, to stop smoking hookah was that first he, he, he ensured that he doesn't do it in the company of others he does it alone uh, only because of that need of of maybe that nicotine that he has to intake um, and then gradually uh, after a short period had passed six months then he asked him to to stop and immediately at that time he was able to do so so it's not about uh, these unrealistic goals in which let's say you're smoking uh, two or three packs 20 packs a day and, and then you say that oh I will uh, quit cold turkey it's about taking that gradual uh, way and Smoke, uh, stopping smoking in the long run and that is what will uh, make you stop um, for, 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 uh, for well forever as well isn't it and that is the aim uh, of the game here as well um as I said uh, earlier as well, we do have a lot to cover, so we're going to be going to be moving straight to our uh, next topic now. Um, and this is in regards to the cold crisis in our own quarters. So we're talking about human health and homeostasis as well. And if you would like to get involved, then do pick up the phone and give us a call. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you. Um, <clears throat> this is also a topic which we addressed uh, last year. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I spoke about this topic back then as well. Um, the cost of living crisis has created difficulties for the vast majority to heat their homes. But surely it is not the Ice Age, particularly here in the UK. Um, the cold reality is that even purportedly mild temperatures pose potentially profound physiological problems. We will also explore other winter woos as well as how to keep warm. So uh, we spoke about this last year as well. Um, but Jalice, can you uh, kindly um, mention or explain what the cold chamber experiment was all about and what the findings were for this as well? Yeah, of course. So. James Gallagher, who is a health presenter, he took part in a cold experiment at the University of South Wales. Now, the goal was to understand how uh, living in cold homes around uh, 10 degrees Celsius um, affects the body. So in the experiment, um, James experienced decreasing temperatures and his body was closely monitored. So some uh, changes observed uh, included decreased blood flow to the brain and increased uh, breath count, uh, higher blood pressure, um, also uh, elevated heart rate and increased, you know, carbohydrate burning. So this helps researchers learn about the effects of cold living conditions on people who can't uh, maybe you know, afford uh, proper heating. Now, 
the changes that were noticed was, uh, like I mentioned, so so blood flow to the brain decreased by 20%. Um, the breath count increased from nine breaths per minute to 12 breaths per minute. Um, um, you know, the, the heart rate went up from 55 to 65 uh, beats per minute. And then, you know, the body... Uh, burned more carbs. Now, this is something. This is these are things that uh, that that were uh, changes that were uh, noticed. Now, some f- um, fascinating, you know, finds also includes that that you know the body st- like struggles in the cold. Now, even at the ten degrees Celsius, the body worked hard to stay warm. So, making the heart beat faster and increasing blood flow. Uh, blood pressure in fact to maintain a, a normal temperature and then when uh, when i mentioned uh, the 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 brain slows down in the cold which means that the cold temperatures uh, you know led to to less blood flow in the brain uh, making thinking slower and this suggests that the cold places uh, you know might make it harder to focus on mental tasks and then the cold affects the the heart again this is another find that we that was uh, seen from um this cold chamber um uh, uh, that we are talking about this being in, in in being in the cold increased blood pressure and changed the thickness of blood which might raise the risk of strokes and you know heart attacks this shows that cold can have serious effects on the heart you know, risk for some. Now, there are some risks for some people, which means that the cold is especially risky for people with heart problems and the elderly. The changes inside the body caused by cold can make these groups more vulnerable to to um, to health issues. And and um, cold weather and in, uh, living in cold places increases the chances of getting sick, like the flu or, or like the flu. So so this highlights how you know cold environments can can have a wider health um wider health uh, effects um so we do have with us oh, it's more on this um in just a bit but we do have with us um our uh, guest who is uh, uh Naomi Watt who is a healthcare professional engagement manager and uh, so, so Naomi Watt is a healthcare professional engagement manager and a respiratory nurse specialist at uh, Asthma Plus Lung UK uh, we just spoke to her colleague Henry Gregg in our previous uh, segment. Uh, now we what? Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show. Good morning. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, of course, we are speaking about a very you know um, interesting and crucial point, is which is the cold crisis in our own quarters. Um, we have a few questions um and just just getting straight into it um as as a uh, respiratory nurse have you found um that there are more cases of breathing difficulties in patients during the winter and you know what could be the potential reasons for this yes so for people living with lung conditions such as asthma copd um or um interstitial lung disease um the cold weather can make their symptoms a lot worse. And this is because when we step out into the cold air or if we're at home and it's cold, the, um, the, the temperature of the air makes our airways, the, the passages that we breathe through, smaller. Mm. And this can make it harder to breathe. A person might wheeze, so they might have a noisy chest, they might be coughing, and they might feel more breathless. Mm-hmm. 
We know as well that cold air weakens our immune system, which you just mentioned. And that means that it's harder to fight off respiratory viruses like coughs and colds, flu and COVID that are much worse for people with certain respiratory conditions. I see, I see. And and um, so, so how can can cold weather affect those who, who have asthma? You know, are, are there any additional guidelines they should follow for the benefit of their health you know, during this time of the year? Yes, absolutely. So if somebody has asthma, the most important thing to do is to keep taking their preventer inhaler as it's prescribed. So every morning and every evening. And if a person notices that their symptoms are getting a bit worse because of the cold weather, so for example, they're needing to use their reliever inhaler, which is often blue, more than three times a week, or they are waking up at night um, with asthma symptoms, or they are noticing that they're just having more symptoms than usual, then they really need to go to see their nurse or their GP to just check that they don't need their treatment increased when it's cold. Mm-hmm, I see. So obviously playing a, playing a cl- uh, closer attention to one's uh, body is, is crucial um, in, in this time of uh, year as well. Um, of course, uh, if they notice any effect, like you said, that they should do um, seek medical help as well. Um, uh, what are some of the, the respiratory conditions that may develop in individuals due to, a low, due to low temperatures? And how, how can these be prevented from um, a healthcare point of view? So in terms of um, living in a cold temperature, this will worsen any existing uh, lung condition. Mm-hmm. So it's important that um, when you're at home, you try and keep the temperature in your house at around 18 degrees or above. Mm-hmm. Um, having hot drinks, hot food, and trying to keep active around the house will help keep you warm. Um, and if you're struggling to heat your, um, your house, um, then you can ring our helpline where we've got healthcare advisors who are happy to talk through um, any and every benefit that is available to people living with a lung condition. So, for example, um, there, uh, there are uh, assistance schemes to help with um, fuel bills. Um, there are places called warm hubs, which are places in the community where people can go to stay warm if they're struggling to heat their own homes. So there's a lot of help out there. So I would encourage people to reach out to us if they're struggling. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome, awesome. Um, uh, I mean, th- thank you for for joining us. I'm sure our uh, our listeners have uh, very much benefited from from your 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 answers and your um, in, in answers and expertise in this field. Um, have a, a lovely day and a beautiful week ahead. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you. That was Naomi Watt, healthcare professional, engagement manager, and respiratory nurse specialist at Asthma Plus Lung UK. Um, some very interesting things that we've seen from that discussion as well.
Um, and some some actually some fascinating uh, findings uh, include that from 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 the cold chamber um, that uh, the physiological challenges, despite the seemingly mild ten degrees Celsius, the body worked intensively to maintain a core temperature of around thirty seven degrees Celsius. Um, increased heart rate and elevated blood pressure were observed as the body defended its core temperature. Um, Brain function, uh, blood flow to the brain decreased in colder temperatures, leading to slower cognitive performances. Um, This has, of course, implications for tasks requiring mental focus, suggesting that cold environments may negatively impact mental gymnastics as well. This cardiovascular impact, the experiment revealed that exposure to cold temperatures increased blood pressure and changed the viscosity of blood, potentially contributing to an increased risk um uh, of strokes and heart attacks uh, this uh, underscores the importance of recognizing the cardiovascular risks associated with cold this vulnerability of certain groups individuals with poor heart health um, and the elderly are particularly at risk as you can imagine as the experiment highlighted how internal changes uh, due to cold can pose additional health risks for these populations there's winter and infections as well. So the article also touches upon how cold weather favours the spread of infections such as flu and the increases the likelihood of pneumonia, emphasising the broader health implications of living in colder environments. Um, like uh, we, we've just mentioned as well, um, the findings emphasise that even temperatures as seemingly mild as 10 degrees Celsius can pose significant challenges to the body, particularly for vulnerable populations. Um, and this research um, uh, it contributes to a better understanding of the health risks associated with cold living conditions, called for increased awareness and recognition of the potential dangers of prolonged exposure of lower temperatures. Um, something which I was unaware of before uh, um, researching for, for today's show was actually that, that cold um, if it causes one to catch a cold or not. So, Jalice, if you could uh, kindly, for the benefit of our uh, our listeners as well, if you could explain a little bit about this. Uh, because, I, I, um, like I said, this is something that I was actually unaware of before before preparing for today's show. Yeah, same. So, I mean, of course, often we are told that it's cold outside, so cover up, otherwise you would catch a cold. I mean, you know, a lot of people think this, but being cold doesn't directly make you uh, catch a cold. You know, colds are caused by, you know, viruses, not the cold weather. However, having said that, you know, cold weather, you know, might indirectly increase um, you know, the risk of catching a cold because, of course, cold weather helps some viruses survive longer outside the body. Um, and then if, if we look in colder months, people spend more time indoors, making it easier to spread uh, viruses through you know coughing or sneezing um again then we have you know the cold weather can weaken the immune system making it easier to get sick um you know cold weather can can lead to 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 less exercise poor sleep and bad uh nutrition which weaken the immune system so while cold weather is linked to a higher risk of catching cold the main cause is still you know, exposure to viruses, right? So, so washing hands, avoiding, uh, you know, uh, avoiding uh, 
places where you know there uh, where where there, where there are a lot of sick sick people or catching cold from someone and staying uh, healthy can reduce um, the risk of getting uh, cold uh, no matter the temperature. Now, of course. Um, uh, th- this is something, of course, like like uh, some like you have mentioned. This is, of course, something th- which was new to me as well. Um, but of course, learning that uh, it's not the cold, but it's it's the the impact of the cold that that happens in in our surroundings and and uh, whether it be uh, behavioral factors or, or the immune system or. Um, you know, indoor cr- crowding or you know, virus, uh, so, uh, various uh, spreading. So you know, that's that's um, that's one thing that uh, you know, which is quite important. It's quite new as well. Now, you know, how can how can one you know cope with the cold? Now, keeping warm in winter, of course, is essential. And we 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 spoke to our guest who did say that you know, drinking uh, you know, hot beverages or or you know there are places where one may where can can go to stay warm as well. That's that's a, a, a um, good good uh, tip as well. Good good uh, information. But you know to stay warm in winter, you know but there are some other tips as well that I'd mention. And that is first and foremost, you know dress right. So that means you know wear layers of warm clothes. You know like thermal socks, uh, gloves, hats. You know if you if you know you're going out for a long. Uh, for a long time, then of course, uh, scarves, jumpers, you know, uh, jackets. The right pr- appropriate clothing, uh, clothing, is essential to you know stay um, stay warm uh, during this winter. Again, keep your home warm. Uh, as our previous caller mentioned, that you know the the home should be, I believe they mentioned, uh, shouldn't be lower than seventeen degrees Celsius. Now, um, make sure your homes is is insulated. Use curtains and fix. Any drafts around windows and, and doors, check and maintain your heating system. That's another thing. So we've got outside where you dress properly, you've got a dress appropriately with the warm clothes, excuse me, with warm clothing. Then we've got your indoors where you make sure that your the indoor heating system is all good to go. Um, now, get heating assistance is another tip as well. So check if there are any you know plans government government plans to help with heating costs um another another very inter- uh, important one um would be you know keeping your uh, sorry what is 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 um is staying healthy now this is something of course that helps us throughout the year and um you know it goes back to to our previous topic as well where 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 we highlight the importance of staying healthy and maintaining a healthy body and and what islam says about you know uh keeping our physical body healthy as well so um you know getting vaccinations to prevent illnesses eat hot meals and drink warm drinks you know whether it be um, you know, uh, coffee or tea or you know um, various other uh, green tea, anything that can help you your body to to keep you warm. Um, again, warm bedding is another good tip. You know, use extra blankets or or warm uh, duvet on your bed. Um, you can use a hot water bottle or you know to 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 keep your um, self uh, warm. Of course, um, when I mentioned drink coffee or tea, you can also drink hot water as well. And our uh, one tip, which which I've personally used as well, is that when you do heat uh, water in the kettle. Um, so of course, if you heat it once in the morning, 
um, what I would usually do is instead of having to heat it, heat it again um, the next following hours or, or just so once you've heated the water once, then put that water in a thermal bottle and then that will then stay warm throughout the whole day. So it will save you from having to turn the kettle on three, four, five times uh, during the day. Um, again, uh, weather appropriate clothing is is we that's, that's that cannot be emphasized enough. You know, wear the right clothes when you go outside, and uh, no you know, you know health checkups. Of course, visit your doctor regularly, especially before winter. You know, to catch a, any healthy issues early. Now, staying warm is important for your health. In cold weather, you know, be ready for winter by following um, the tips that I've, I've mentioned, and um, you know. Uh, God willing, uh, you 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 would be you know good to go. Mm. And uh, like we mentioned in the 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 earlier segment as well, the first segment uh, in which we were talking about our bodies and how it's a trust from God Almighty which we are to return. Um, similarly, uh, whilst we're talking about uh, winter, it can bring about additional health challenges beyond the cold itself. So some common winter-related uh, health issues could include things like allergies and asthma. So indoor uh, allergens such as mold and dust can be more problematic during the winter when homes are sealed tightly to conserve heat. Uh, and what we can do to, to try and uh, tackle this is that we can use air purifiers, Keep living spaces well ventilated and regularly clean and dust to minim- minimise allergen exposure. Um, we could also consider using allergen-proof bedding and covers to reduce exposure whilst sleeping as well. There's a cold-induced in- asthma, so cold air can actually trigger asthma symptoms in some individuals. Uh, what we can do to tackle this is possibly use a scarf or mask to cover your nose and mouth when going outside in extremely cold weather uh, and keep rescue inhalers or other prescribed medications on hand, especially during outdoor activities. There's seasonal affective disorder, so SAD, um, uh, also known as winter blues. Uh, SAD, SAD, is a type of uh, depression that occurs seasonally, often in the winter months and exposure to natural light is crucial consider uh, using light therapy lamps to mimic sunlight to try and tackle this and you can also stay socially connected you can engage in activities you enjoy and seek professional help if needed as well Um, there's dry skin and eczema Uh, indoor heating systems can lead to dry air which may cause uh, or even exacerbate skin conditions like eczema and using things like humidifiers or moisturizers um, to 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 moisture the air and prevent dry skin uh, can help in this regard this slips and falls um, oftentimes, uh, you'll, you might even see videos of this on social media uh, where icy and snowy conditions can lead to an increased risk of slips and falls. And um, like Jalise mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier, we can the uh, uh, clothing that we have on should be appropriate. And, and similarly, the footwear should also have good traction as well in clear snow. Uh, and ice uh, from walkways, driveways and stairs uh, promptly um, as well. Um, There's the respiratory infections. So cold weather can contribute to the spread of respiratory infections like the flu. And we've uh, uh, spoken about uh, practicing good hygiene, washing hands frequently and consider um, getting a flu shot as well. That's, uh, That's something that you can also do as well. 
Um, just a few more. There's joint pain. Uh, there's dehydration. There's winter gain, weight gain as well. So for joint pain, the cold weather can exacerbate joint pain for some individuals, particularly those with arthritis. Um, and we can stay warm with layers of clothing uh, and use heating pads or warm baths to soothe joints, um, like mentioned in one of the earlier ones as well. For dehydration, uh, cold weather can lead to reduced thirst sensation, making it easy to forget to stay adequately hydrated. Uh, and so obviously uh, um, uh, the simple thing to do for that would be to drink water regularly even if you don't feel thirsty um, last but not least uh, reduced physical activity and increased comfort food consumption can actually contribute to winter weight gain um, and that's why we should maintain a balanced diet and incorporate indoor exercises to stay active um, as you can imagine, being aware of these potential health challenges and taking proactive measures can help individuals better navigate the winter season and maintain their physical and mental well-being. Regular exercise, a balanced diet and mindfulness about indoor in- environments are key components of a winter, uh, a healthy winter lifestyle. Um just coming towards the end of the show now, um, Jalice, is there anything that you would like to share um, with uh, our listener in regards to the Islamic perspective of what Islam teaches us uh, and what we can learn, um, especially in this topic of where we're talking about the cold and keeping ourselves protected um, and uh, of other things as well? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, two two things that do do come to mind um, during the cold weather, of course, um, is that you know the the Holy Prophet may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He has um, emphasized that, um, and and I would I would explain the, the the logic or the the philosophy behind it. But there's two things that come to mind: is that he said that making wudu, that performing ablution in the cold weather, is one of the best actions right so of course um we will know that when 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 it's cold uh you know uh, if the water of course is is cold as well then you know if, uh, then then it becomes difficult um of course because you spend so much time trying to heat your body up and then to go again to 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 perform ablution with cold water can be something um uh, can be a difficult task in winter um of course back then there was no uh, you know they did not have like the uh, how we have today we have a hot tap and a, and a cold tap and a warm tap um, but he, he he mentioned he emphasized that performing wudu in the cold uh, weather is is one of the best actions, and he also said that you know al ghanima tul somu meaning that fasting during the winter is an easy reward, um, and he he has with these two you know narrations he has very beautifully highlighted and reminded um, us Muslims that. No matter what what the weather is, whether it's winter, spring, summer, autumn, our good deeds, um, you know, whether it be fasting, whether it be offering prayer, salat, whether it be you know um, performing ablution, you know, our we we should not stop, um, uh, or we should we should not uh, hesitate 
to do you know good um, good deeds that we would normally do throughout our our daily lives and of course I've um, highlighted two things which one is fasting which of course is a pillar of Islam and, and we are Muslims of course fast during the month of Ramadan and uh, various days throughout the year of course it is also the the practice of the Holy Prophet that he he, he would fast on on Mondays and Thursdays as well and um, he has highlighted here that fasting during the winter is an easy reward of course because uh, you know the the days are much shorter as well and so he's he's drawn our attention to uh, to fasting and doing good deeds and of course again wudu performing ablution in the cold weather is one of the best actions and of course is something that pleases Allah almighty and this is the ultimate goal for all muslims of course most certainly most certainly beautifully put there um the last thing that I want to share here before uh, concluding today's show is one of Allah's 99 key attributes is Al-Musavvir, which is the fashioner. He's the one who fashioned the human body in such a way that it would be able to maintain its core temperature via homeostasis, which brings about balance. Allah has fashioned everything in a perfect, orderly way. And there are several verses that convey this as well within the Holy Quran. We will, uh, um, if 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 you want to read more on this, you can go to the book of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim Mirza Tahir Ahmed, Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, in which um, he speaks about homeostasis and hygienic practices like ablution, uh, which Jalisa you just mentioned as well, and how could this can actually prevent seasonal cold and many Islamic practices which can boost our immune system as well. Uh, that is all that we have time for today. Jazakallah. Thank you to everyone who was involved and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.